You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. Open your copy of the scriptures this morning to Hebrews chapter 4, please. As you locate that in your copy of the scriptures, on your electronic devices, because uh, Christ was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, lived his life in perfect obedience to the Father, and in in God's uh, purposeful and planned time. He uh, was uh, put on the cross and bore our sins in his body and was buried and then three days later rose from the dead just as he proclaimed and just as the Old Testament scriptures uh, prophesied concerning the Messiah. He did. And then uh, he appeared to at least 500 in the 40 days uh, between his resurrection and his ascension. And he uh, then went to the right hand of the Father where he is present now, making intercession for us. And uh, because Christ came, lived his life, accomplished the plan of the Father as pertained to his, his life, death, burial, and resurrection, we have all the books of the New Testament. We have the church. We have the book of Hebrews and the interactions that we find in the book of Hebrews. And as you uh, look at the book of Hebrews in chapter 4 in particular, we are looking at five, re- five exhortations which stimulate entrance into God's rest. Definitely looking at the, those to whom he was writing, There were those that uh, were not yet at the point of trusting Christ as Savior. They had all the truth put before them. Uh, They did not lack for sufficient truth concerning Christ, concerning salvation, concerning uh, the human condition uh, apart from Christ, concerning uh, the place of the law and the plan and purpose of God. they had all the necessary truth and information in front of them, but there were that element among them who had not yet uh, come to that place where they had actually repented toward God and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So throughout this letter, the writer is exhorting uh, at different places those who are at that point and juncture to not continue to hang at that, uh, at that point in their thinking and in their response to God, but to uh, go ahead and come to Christ, trust Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we see a series of those exhortations as well in uh, Hebrews chapter 4. And so I, I tied in, quote, to the Christmas message because this is, Christmas is in part about Christ um, and Christ died and rose again to accomplish these ends and to call men to uh, repentance and faith and to provide for them uh, forgiveness of sins and eternal life. 
and the inheritance that we have in Christ, uh, all of that is subsequent to the birth of Christ. Uh, he was not simply born in order to uh, provide a historical um, event. He was born to accomplish the plan and purpose of God, which is unfolded for us on the pages of Scripture. And so these readers had a lot of biblical truth that had been placed in front of them explained, and uh, they, they did not lack for truth. They did not lack for the necessary uh, explanations of Scripture for them to come to Christ, trust Christ as their Lord and Savior. So we pick it up this morning in uh, Hebrews chapter 4. We've looked at the first of those exhortations, and it is an exhortation uh, by the very nature of, of the verbs used and the tenses they are in. Uh, the exhortation is fear failure. You cannot continue, you cannot, using the historical analogy of that generation of uh, Jewish people who were rescued from Egypt and were told that God was taking, returning them to the land of Israel where their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had lived. And it was the sons of Jacob who had uh, gone down to Egypt by God's direction, uh, where God protected them during the, the famine that was afflicting the world at that time in history, at least that part of the world. And they had remained there 400 years, and the Egyptians had put them in bondage and slavery and used them as a, a resource for building a number of public buildings that, uh, and religious buildings that uh, uh, they had in their... Uh, in their empire, and so they, they used them as a, a workforce, uh, not a voluntary workforce. It, they were slave labor, and part of the reason for that is because in that 400 years, they had become numerous, and the Egyptian pharaoh and the Egyptian leaders were concerned that the Jewish people would become too strong and perhaps overtake them. The reason that they thought that is that Prior to that point in Egyptian history, there had been <clears throat> an event that occurred in the Mediterranean basins of nations, and it's referred to historically as the Sea People's Movement. And what it amounted to was this, that for whatever reasons, there were large numbers of people that migrated uh, from places north of Egypt, and they migrated over a period of time down to Egypt. And it wasn't just one particular set of people. For instance, Turks. Although the Turks were in a big, a totally different part of the world at that time. But it wasn't just one ethnic group per se. It was a host of ethnic groups. And they migrated down to Egypt, and, <clears throat> and there they, they remained. And eventually they became numerous enough that, I don't know the circumstances and the situation, the dynamics that were in play, but they actually uh, took over Egypt. And native-born Egyptians did not rule in Egypt for a period of time. And eventually, the Egyptians gained the upper hand and established themselves as, as rulers and as pharaohs. So now this was in their experience. This was in their background. This occurred prior to the children of Israel being in Egypt, uh, and being uh, enslaved by the Egyptians. So obviously you understand 
that as they were becoming more numerous, that there were those in the Egyptian governing circles who were observing this with a mind back on the history that they had experienced and were concerned that this growing Jewish population, these descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would eventually maybe do what this previous group of immigrants had done and overtake them. And so they put them in slavery and bondage and put them to work so that they could keep them under control, but also get some good use out of their presence there. And so that, that was the setting for this generation of Jews who were at the capstone of this 400-year history, and they had experienced that bondage, and it had become the most intense during the time of the, that generation of Jews. And it became even more intense when God stepped into scene via Moses and began that process of delivering them. Moses showed up on the scene and declared to Pharaoh, let my people go. God says, let my people go. Pharaoh was not disposed to let that happen. He said, I don't know your God, and I won't let your people go. And so that's, that's where it started. And so Moses did a few, a couple of miracles. And the magicians of Egypt reproduced those miracles on the same, some level. And so the Pharaoh was unimpressed. And the, the thinking of, of his advisors around him was this. There's too much time on their hands. Therefore, they're getting these ideas that, uh, of leaving. And uh, they're very beneficial to us. Since they have so much time on their hands, let's take some of that time away. Let's demand of them that they make the same number of bricks that they're required to each day. But instead of us providing the straw for them, they have to go get the straw, bring it, and uh, do the same work. So they added another step in there that the Jewish people would be responsible for. And of course, that became a very heavy burden upon them, and they grumbled at Moses. Some of them did. And then that's when God began to uh, do the, the plagues that began to come upon um, Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. And by the culmination of the tenth plague... Pharaoh finally said, get out of here, we don't want to see you, and they left, and with it, they took a lot of, of uh, spoil, a lot of wealth, not because they grabbed it, but because the people uh, gave them uh, what they asked, and they voluntarily gave it to them, and they left Egypt with a lot of wealth from the Egyptians, and they traveled uh, by God's direction into the wilderness. They didn't go the direct route from Egypt up to Canaan. God took them in an indirect route. And that indirect route had them camp by the Red Sea. And in those intervening days, Pharaoh said, what have we done? We've lost all of this labor. That was a big issue. Their building projects immediately stopped. Their labor force was gone. 
And Egyptians weren't lining up in the employment lines to do that kind of work. And so they get their army together and they track them down and the children of Israel see what's happening. And of course, they're fearful. They, they, there, there is always that contingency of influence within the children of Israel that, that their default response was, God has delivered us from Egypt and brought us to this miserable place, to this hard place, only to die at the hands of Pharaoh in this wilderness. It would be far better if we were back in Egypt. As bad as it was, it's better than this. As bad as Egypt was, it's better than what God has put us in. And then, of course, that's when God had the Red Sea parted. The children of Israel went through that uh, parted sea on dry ground, which was a supernatural work of God, obviously. Nobody's been able to reproduce that since. And then the Egyptian army, that same path was there. They enter into that uh, parted waters and are going through the Red Sea, and God causes the waters to come in over them. The children of Israel witnessed all of that. They didn't hear somebody telling them about it. They didn't hear about it through the uh, Middle Eastern news uh, sources that time. They witnessed it. They saw it. They saw what God did. And then God began to lead them through the wilderness. He provided water for them in supernatural ways. He provided food for them in supernatural ways. They're, they're closed their shoes did not wear out. He provided for them all along the way. And all along the way, every time there was a difficulty encountered, there was always that same contingency within the, uh, the uh, Israelite community who were their first response, complain. Better be back in Egypt than here. So they get up to the land of Canaan, the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God said, now it's time to go into the land. I've brought you here. I've given you the constitution that you need as a people and a nation by which to govern yourself, which is the Old Testament, the, old, the law. That's one of the important purposes of the Old Testament, of the law given through Moses. It was, it's a constitution. There's a constitution for this nation. So they had what they needed in their governing documents. They had the provisions. The time was right. They'd seen the mighty hand of God in numerous ways. They'd not only seen the mighty hand of God, they'd heard the very voice of God. They had this new document given directly to Moses by God. And they get to the land. They send in the 12 men to check out the land, assess it, bring back reports. Ten of the 12 say it's everything that God said it was. Everything. But the cities are big, just like God said. 
And they are well fortified, they're strong, they're well equipped, they're well organized. The armies look strong and formidable. We can't get this done. It's not going to happen. If we go in there, we're going to get slaughtered. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. I'm kind of creating some scenario, some dialogue here. <laughs> it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that who we are and the army we have and the equipment we possess. There's no way that we can go and attack well-fortified cities, well-equipped armies, well-disciplined armies in those various city-states who are accustomed to fighting together and this is our first rodeo. We were slaves in Egypt. We traversed the wilderness. We haven't been to boot camp. We have some men with military mindedness, Joshua being among them. But as far as the rank and file, we do not compare to what is there in the land. We go in there, we are slaughtered. 10 out of 12, that was the kind of assessment that they provided. God's exhortation to them was, I've brought you here, I've delivered you from Egypt, you've seen my mighty hand, you've seen my supernatural works, you've heard my voice, I've given you my word, not only in my promise, but I've given you the law, this new covenant. And now is the time to go in. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. You will be victorious. But God, do you see us and do you see them? Do you see how we're equipped and they're equipped? Trust me. Trust me. Believe me. You will go into the land, and I will enable you to conquer it. Trust me, my works, and my ways. Trust me. That is what is behind the illustration in the analogy that the writer is using. And it's so, so, uh, so incredibly relevant and valid. So that first exhortation in verses 1 through 5 was an exhortation that here you are exposed to the person, to the truth, to the reality of Jesus Christ, God come in human flesh. And you know the reality that he was crucified and buried and rose again. And you know all the truth of, of the gospel, all the doctrines of the gospel, we've laid them out in front of you. And the rest that you're called to is a rest in God, the salvation that he provides in Christ Jesus, the very salvation of God, the greatness and fullness of that. And everything that you need to know to trust Christ as your Savior, you know. You're like the children of Israel who were at the border of that land. And all they had to do was trust the living God, step forward, and do as God directed. 
and they would not trust. You are like that. Now you are at, at, at that, that border, so to speak, of truth. Nothing more needs to be communicated to you. Nothing that we can communicate to you is going to be different or additional. Christ has been thoroughly presented, thoroughly explained. Now is the time to trust him. And so the first five verses is that fear of failure. That generation of Jews who failed to go into land, they failed because they failed to trust the living God, Jehovah. And the exhortation here is, you know everything that you need to know about Christ. Fear failure. If you don't trust him, there are no other options. The only way you enter into God's rest of salvation is to act on that truth. Fear the failure to do so. You know, one of the illustrations I used last week was the illustration from a newspaper headline, New York Times, uh, where the author of the article uh, said that with, with the article that we are in peril if we do not act on climate change. So that seeking to generate that fear, I am not moved. <laughs> I do not fear that failure because I, I don't put credibility in much of what is said by those who push that particular concept and idea and, and the agenda that's associated with it. I, I don't fear that. It's like, oh, if I don't get on board, our planet is going to be destroyed. I, I don't lend credibility to that whole uh, concept that they paint and portray. Climate's always changing. Such a broad, general statement. I don't want to get on that. That's not what it's about. But a lot of people treat God and Christ that way. And the truth of Christ and the truth of the gospel as though if, if they don't act on it, it's, well, it's just really not all that important. That is the most important person and the most important body of information that every human being is to act upon. And a failure to do so has eternal consequences. So now we move to the next exhortation. And that is to respond today. And that's found in verses 6 through 10. <clears throat> we read this portion of Scripture. In chapter 4 it says, Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, meaning the rest, that some enter it, the word must, as you notice, is in italicis, uh, which means it's not in the original. Uh, and so it's put there to give a sense of the urgency of, of the exhortation, but it's simply asserting, since therefore it remains that some enter it, there are those who are yet to enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time as it has been said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered the, his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. <clears throat> and so we see here in these verses the exhortation to respond today, meaning that when the opportunity is in front of any individual, that is the time to respond. Whether it's this moment or whether it's tomorrow, today is emphasizing that when the opportunity is in front of us, respond to the truth of Christ. Respond to Him, come to Him, trust in Him. Why today? Well, as we've already seen in, in the book of Hebrews, we're not assured of tomorrow. I'm not assured of this evening, and neither are you. We know that in concept, and I know that in concept. I fully expect to be at home this evening, hanging out with my family. That, that's what I expect. I, I don't see, you know, I, I don't anticipate that there's going to be anything that happens between here and there. I'm the safest driver in the world. But it may not have anything to do with my driving. Health issues could crop up that are percolating in there that I have no idea are percolating. And then it explodes and death occurs before this evening. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. But I don't know. More than likely, this afternoon and evening is going to be like every other afternoon and evening that I've had in the days that I've lived, meaning that I'll get there, I'll live it, I'll experience. I don't know. And when it comes to dealing with the with the reality of Christ and the truth of Christ, when the opportunity is in front of us and God has placed before us the, the truth that we need and, and the truth that, that is in Christ, while we have that opportunity, that is the time to respond in faith and trust. Because we have absolutely no idea when we're going to step from this body into eternity. And that's the exhortation of, of the writer to those whom are reading it. It's the exhortation to everyone today as well. So let's begin to unpack this. Respond to the opportunity. There remains yet some. Verse 6, Therefore, since therefore it remains that some enter it. So the opportunity is still theirs, is, is the uh, expression there. And there are those who are yet to enter it. The gate is narrow, our Lord said in his ministry, and few there be that find it, but there are still more to enter. There's still, and, and you may be one of them. If you have not yet come to Christ and trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
You may be one of them. The opportunity is there. And while the opportunity is there to trust Christ, trust Him as your Lord and Savior. Act on that. Respond to that truth because we never know when we're going to depart this body and we're in eternity. And if while we're living life in this present body, we have not trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, then when we enter eternity, then we enter eternity apart from Christ, eternally separated from the living God. It's while we have life in this body that we have the opportunity to come to Christ. And when the truth is presented to us and, and we interact with it and we understand it, the responsibility is to trust Christ, not just kind of treat it indifferently, not, not to think that somehow uh, I, I'm not ready yet. I, 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 I don't want to take that step yet because of whatever implications in my mind that might be or in my emotions or whatever would be keeping us from trusting Christ. Respond while there's opportunity. Because in God's purposes, the way is still open. The opportunity is still there. There are those who are yet to enter. And if the truth is in front of us, then we have that opportunity to take that step and trust Christ. Just as God said to that generation of Jews who were to enter the land, trust me, I will do all that I said in enabling you to conquer this land. The exhortation of God to every one of us is trust Christ. I will do all that I have said I will do in relation to Christ. I will forgive your sin. I will pardon you of your guilt against me. I will give you eternal life. You'll be united in union with Christ. You'll have the full provisions of new life in Christ Jesus. You'll be a new creature. All the provisions in Christ. And it's accessed by trust. The opportunity is there. There are some yet to enter. Enter while you have opportunity. That's the first of the exhortations. The second is respond to the good news. So it says in verse 6, And those to whom it was first preached, the good news was first preached, the gospel was first preached. Now, the word gospel means good news. That's, that's all that it means. And the context in which it's spoken of determines the content of that good news. And so that generation of Jews that were entering the land, the good news for them was not the message that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary, died for our sins, was buried and rose again. That was not the good news that they heard. That was not the content of the message that they were to put their trust in, because the content of that message was to be yet revealed and bound up and revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. That was centuries from here. But the good news that they heard was the living God, Jehovah, 
the Lord God Adonai. He has brought you to this place. The good news is it's there in the land as God has promised to you through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's there. And, and he, he's giving you everything that you need and all that you need to enter this land and live in it and conquer it. So the good news is you're there and it's time to enter. Trust me. So they disobeyed that message, which puts another nuance to the response. Indifference is not just a neutral like, nah, you know, I don't want to take that offer. I regularly get offers from Spectrum to upgrade my service. I have all the service from them that I want. It's internet. I don't care about their TV package, their other packages, how wonderful they are, how much they're discounting them. I don't want it. And if I'm indifferent to that, it's no big deal. You can't treat the good news of Christ with that kind of an attitude and be indifferent to it. There, there's another nuance to it, and it's, it's reflected in a word that's used in the text here. They did not enter because of disobedience. To fail to trust God is an act of disobedience. To fail to trust God is an act of disobedience. Because in essence we're saying, ultimately I don't put confidence in you and what you say. As good as it is, and as wonderful as I think this, this provision, this message, whatever it is that you're providing is, when it comes down to it and, and I need to put my confidence and my trust in someplace, I'm not trusting you. And God says that is an act of disobedience. The exhortation is respond to the good news. And again, he's using that historical analogy, whether it's uh, talking to Jews or Gentiles, it's, it's that analogy is that when the opportunity to trust Christ, to repent of your sin and, and put your faith and trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior for forgiveness of your sins and the, the gift of eternal life, a failure to trust him is an act of disobedience. Don't do that. Respond to the good news. It's good news. There's no bad news there. There, there. there are no hidden penalties of any sort. It's all good. It really is. It's all good. So respond to the good news by trusting Christ. Third one, respond to God. He builds another layer on this when he says, again, verse 7, he designates a certain day, saying to David, quoting again from the Old Testament, today, after such a long time, as it has been said, here's the quote, today, if you will hear his voice. In other words, if you will give credibility to what God says. The voice is there. The message is there. If you will hear it, if you will have ears to hear if you will, give credibility to God in what he says. Do not harden your hearts. 
So this gives us another dynamic here that, that truth presented and truth ignored and truth pushed away adds a level of hardness to the heart. And each time that that is pushed away, there's another level of hardness that is created in the heart, in the soul of man. Illustration Pharaoh. He continued to push away the command to let his people go. And after every supernatural plague that God brought upon Egypt up until the 10th one, he either totally rejected it, indicated that he was going to go with it, then backed away from it, and each time his heart got harder. You cannot, a person cannot look at the truth that God has placed before us and be indifferent to it, not respond to it, because each time that happens, there's another layer of hardness that grows. Do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. When the truth is in front of us, respond. Respond to God. Respond to Him and to His message by faith, by trusting Him. And respond to God's way. Verse 8, For if Joshua... had given them rest, then he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. In other words, the, what, when Joshua took the children of Israel into uh, the land of Israel 40 years later, a different generation of Jews, that was not the ultimate rest that God was, to which he was referring. They needed a spiritual rest by faith in the living God. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. There is a rest, ultimate, eternal rest. For he who has entered his rest, meaning the salvation that God provides in Christ Jesus, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Going back to that analogy earlier in the chapter that in six days God created Everything on the seventh day, he ceased from his labor, his work of creation. And to enter God's rest, it is not entered through our works, is the message here. It's not by a system of works that anyone enters into the salvation that God provides for us in Christ Jesus. Whether one thinks that it's a system of total works or whether one believes, as the Galatians were being led to believe, that it's a combination of faith and works. You've got to have faith, but you've got to do your works. You've got to do your part. You've got to supply your end of the bargain. Entering into God's rest is through faith and trust alone in the work that Christ has accomplished on our behalf. That is when we enter into that rest. So we must respond to God's way, and God's way is, I have provided what you need in Christ Jesus, because you cannot provide it yourself. It just cannot be done. 
And that which he provided was the sacrifice for sin. We cannot provide that. We cannot contribute to that. So we have to totally rely upon the person of God to accomplish that sacrifice for sin, the penalty of sin on our behalf. And he did that in Christ Jesus. And he says, now you must trust Christ and him alone. Trust plus nothing else. Faith plus nothing else in Christ. And by doing that, then you enter into my rest. As Paul said in the book of Titus to those believers on Crete, he said in Titus chapter uh, 3, verses 5 through 7, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. It is God who saves us. God the Holy Spirit, through regeneration and renewal, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so those to whom the writer of Hebrews was writing, he's saying, listen, do not believe and do not think that somehow by keeping various components of the law and combining that, with faith that you will somehow enter the inner rest. God ceased from his works in creation, and likewise that same principle and dynamic comes into play. Man ceases from his work in seeking to attain the righteousness of God because we can't do it through works. It is by faith that we enter into that rest. Respond to God's ways. So the whole emphasis in these first ten verses is fear of failure and responding. Responding while we have the opportunity. And again, I, I don't know where the hearts of everyone would happen to be, but if you have not yet come to Christ as your Lord and Savior, here's the opportunity. And, and if you need to understand more about what this is all about, that's why we're here to explain the truths of Christ and the good news of Jesus Christ so that anyone can come to Christ and trust Christ as Lord and Savior. But today is another opportunity. Today. As Dr. Crichton from my past, always closed out his radio ministry program by asking the question, what will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday, your soul will be asking, what will he do with me? Listen, the good news is, if you've trusted Christ, you know what he will do. Amen? I hope you have that confidence and assurance. Let's pray. Father, today we give you thanks for being able to spend some time in this portion of your word. We thank you that by your grace we can respond to the blessed truths of the gospel, to the blessed person of the gospel, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We thank you that you enable us, Father, to, to act on these marvelous truths in the marvelous person of Jesus Christ. We thank you for our salvation in Jesus Christ. We rejoice, and we look forward to all that you have yet for us. As, as Paul said, eye has not seen nor ear heard of, of, of the glories that you have for us. We, we have a taste of them now, and we give you thanks, Father. And Lord, our desire is that uh, everyone who hears the gospel the good news bound up in Christ Jesus would respond in repentance and faith and know the joy of sins forgiven, know the certainty of eternal life in Christ Jesus, know of a very clear and certain future uh, that goes throughout eternity. Father, we, we pray, Father, toward that end. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.